everybody. This is John Petrucci from Dream Theater. You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, everyone. This is James Labrie, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 357 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 357, we've got kind of a cool mixed bag for you. We have joining us from Dream Theater, we have Jordan Rudis, who's going to be talking about a new album he has coming out, a solo album, it is. And also, he'll be in town uh, in Greensburg to do a show with Dream Theater uh, later on this week, so we'll get into that as well with the conversation. Also, we have guitarist Angel Vivaldi, who will also be in town later this week uh, doing a show. Uh, he uh, is going to be uh, touring with uh, Scale the Summit. They're going to be doing a show at Mr. Smalls later on this week as well. And we're going to introduce you to a new band, uh, kind of a cool new band uh, featuring a really interesting musician. Uh, the band is Alarm for War, so we'll get into that interview in just a little bit. First, we're going to start out with Jordan Rudis, who has a new album coming out uh, called Intersonic with a, a gentleman named Stephen Horlick. Um, kind of a really cool mixed bag of layers and textures of uh, two great musicians. So we're going to uh, talk to him about this new project, the new album that's coming out, also the tour with Dream Theater. Uh, they're touring in support of the interview anniversary of Images and Words. So we'll have to talk about with the mastermind on the keyboard, Jordan Rudis. So let's get into that interview. City Rocks. We have from Dream Theater. We have Jordan Rudis on the line. How you doing, Jordan? I'm doing very well, thank you. Wonderful. Um, wanted to talk to you primarily. You have a new album coming out, or I'm sorry, I believe it will be out here in by the end of the week or so. Uh, Intersonic, yeah. uh, which features yourself and Steve Horlick on keyboards. Can you talk a little bit about how that project kind of came to fruition? Yeah. Well, Steve and I actually met some years ago, and we connected musically um, and had the opportunity to play together and do some little events 
and some jams, and we always just got together for fun. He's a kind of a master synthesis and an improviser, and we would get together and just really have a great time just making music, improvising, allowing ourselves to just kind of go with the flow, if you will, to uh, explore new and cutting-edge um, instruments, which is a passion of mine. Um, and so kind of fast forward to more recent future, um, Steve and I got together and we were making some music and we kind of looked at each other and we said that, you know, we have so much music from the years that we've been playing together because we recorded a bunch of it and we had done some presentations together at different places. And uh, we thought, you know, it'd be really cool to kind of to, to, to make an album together and put it out because it's, we've been having such a wonderful time. It would be nice to share this music with the rest of the world. So um, I was thinking how, you know, how we're going to do that. And then I remembered that, you know, one of the connections that I have uh, is with this wonderful uh, fellow in Melbourne, Australia, who is a, who's got a record company called Lazy Bones Records. And he put out the last 11 Miniman Rudis albums, both of them. And he always does a wonderful job of getting him out there and really working them. And he's passionate about it. So I reached out to him and I let him hear the stuff and he loved it. So, um, yeah, so, so we, we, you know, we got this uh, nice collection of music out and I'm very excited about it. I think it's uh, something a little bit different. It's um, got some elements that people might know if they follow, you know, me and my music, but also there's, uh, there's elements of it that definitely are, uh, are new. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's the one thing I think we can count on with your music over the years is there's always new things just in your music. So to hear you, you know, collaborate with others, uh, certainly it's a wonderful listen, a very intelligent record. Um, Do you guys kind of go into a studio to do this, or how do you approach making albums in, you know, 2016, 2017 with technology? Do you need a studio? Yeah, it's changed so much. I mean, one of the great things about this album is that we make the music when we're in the same room because I mean and I'm not against any way to work and I think there's magic in all different kinds of you know ways whether you're just in your own you know persons in their own environment just laying down tracks or whatever but in this case the music is very much about feeding off of one another and it's, and it has a lot to do with improvisation both Steve and I are you know really into improvisation and we value that so highly amongst you know kind of like musical expression and getting together and just you know really listening and um, you know we're able to record because we're using digital instruments we can record them direct and Steve happens to be very you know technical musical so he always sets it up so we capture everything you know really in a pristine quality so um, we get together and we do our thing and we capture it and really there wasn't much that we had to do um, like after the fact when we decided that okay we have a lot of really cool music we want to put it out there was definitely some things that we you know we went back and listened to some of the stuff we had done in the past we also got together a little bit more frequently started to um, you know really focus on getting getting enough material for the record but um you know, so there was a little bit of, uh, you know, like mixing, if you will, and some adding of a few things. But in general, it was about us being together in the room and just, you know, putting it out there. Yeah. Okay. It was always kind of curious, you know, with, with the way technology has changed, people, you know, can use Box and Dropbox and things like that and come up with some fantastic sounding records. So it's always great oh, to hear, totally. you know, you've got people yeah, in the same totally. room, uh, you know, feeding off of each other. Because that's the one thing you do miss yeah. when you're using the Internet, obviously. 
Yeah. But, um, well, the um, just for perspective, the albums I made, like with Levin, Miniman, and Rudis, there's two albums that came out on the same label, and those were songs that were more like composed, if you will, in a traditional way, mm-hmm. and that was first of all possible because of that, because of the nature of the way they were written. But we all did our tracks in separate places, and it was kind of fun just to be in my own place and you know knowing what I was going to play against, but just having the time to explore and check out my synthesizer sounds. But you know the difference between that and the album with Steve is that we were kind of you know vibing off of each other, and the music yeah. was emerging because of the you know because of being in the same room and being together, which is a whole nother kind of uh, musical output. And to me, it's a very important one as well because it's, this album is you know really coming from not to sound too uh, new agey but it's coming from like a spiritual place and mm. that it represents a lot of who we are as people even though people right. know me as a you know prog metal keyboardist i mean the reality is that there's you know there's a lot of other kind of elements or you know uh things about who i am that this album really brings out yeah yeah i think that it's good to explore that you know when you're interested in an artist to listen to things like this you know it's it's mm. helps to understand mm. as a musician um as an innovator, uh, and I, I often think of that term when I think of you, um, can you talk a little bit about wisdom music uh, and, and what that endeavor has been and what that means to you? Sure. Um, so I started wisdom music um, some years ago, about nine years ago, I guess, um, when uh, I first got into... Um, the iPhone it was at the time and the the idea of a multi-touch screen when I got the original iPhone I was playing around with it and even though it didn't make you know any good sounds or the visuals on it weren't very good at the time I still I was really inspired by the idea of kind of this multi-touch action on a screen and what it might mean for musical expression and it was in the days when the app store was just getting started. It was nothing like what it is now. There was maybe a hundred apps in the store, but I had it. But I had a real vision. I had an idea for what I wanted to achieve uh, in my mind, and that was that was about being able to put my finger down on the screen and be able to express something in kind of a continuous motion and be able to change the timbre or change the pitch as I move my fingers along the screen, and each finger would kind of be its own independent uh, entity. So I kept my eye on the store because I needed to find someone who was a, uh, a programmer to do this with. And I managed to find somebody who was doing something with like linear graphics on the screen and making sound, and I thought, okay, well, I'll reach out to this person. Turns out it was a very good call because the person whose name is Kevin Chartier turned out to be a wonderfully talented, kind of inspired uh, programmer, really into music and, and visual. And we were able to produce an app called MorphWiz. And MorphWiz, when it came out, actually won the Billboard Best Music app for the year that it came out, mm-hmm. which was really exciting. And it was a great start for Wisdom Music. So although I've <clears throat> always been into working with the synthesizer companies, since I basically started my career, <clears throat> this was a chance for me to kind of branch out on my own and do my own thing, and the, and this collaboration really got things going. And the fact that there was this, there was an outlet like the uh, Apple uh, App Store made it possible for me to kind of start my own business and to start putting out software. Yeah. So, yeah. Go ahead. No, that's. What, I was just curious. I mean, do you get involved? Um 
you know, with the design of the apps now, or do you they just kind of build them and take them to you and you say, yeah, this is what I was thinking. No, move this here, do this kind of thing. Or how yeah. how in depth do you get it with with the developers? Yeah, well, I've been pretty in depth with with all the apps that I've done, um, especially like a, you know, like in the beginning stages mm-hmm. with MorphWiz and SampleWiz and Tachyon and HarmonyWiz. Um, there's a lot of uh, you know, it's a lot of time spent on just figuring out what you're going to see and what's mm-hmm. going to happen and what the sounds are and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I guess the answer is everything from the video. I mean, I'm not a coder, so I take mm-hmm. no credit for that. But I definitely am involved in, you know, all the other levels of putting together uh, an instrument. Um, for this latest app that I have out, which is really exciting, it's called GeoShred. It's been out for a while, <clears throat> but it continues to be developed and change and morph and grow. I'm working with an amazing team that I met out of uh, the Karma Labs at Stanford University. Um, and what it is, it's an application that's based on one of my partners, Julius Smith. He's uh, one of the gurus of physical modeling, mm-hmm. and it's based on his technology for physical modeling. And 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 the beauty of it is that it uses this playing surface that I first worked on with an app called Geosynthesizer with a guy called Rob Fielding, and we developed the app. Um, and it was a beautiful, like, playing experience, even on the smallest of devices, because my idea was you should be able to go from the from the entire register, from the lowest to the highest notes, with ease, even on a small device. So we achieved that with Geosynthesizer, and then, uh, you know, after that, we took that kind of playing surface idea and applied it to um, Julius and their team's uh, synthesizer technology and came out with with um, GeoShred, so and that's the that's the most current uh, instrument that's on the on the store. And what's interesting is that it's actually a big hit in India now. And the reason for that is it lets you GeoShred lets you seamlessly go between fretless and diatonic worlds. So there's a lot of magic about the way that it changes pitch and the control you have. So all the Carnatic musicians are discovering that they can do all their kind of very in advanced inflections mm-hmm. using GeoShred, and it's creating quite a quite a scene there. Every day I hear from other Indian musicians who are who are starting to adapt it and, and to use it in their music. Yeah, it's wonderful to hear you say that. You know, you think a, a lot of people kind of hard on technology, you know, it's taking away the human element, it's you're making mm-hmm. music sterile, but I, I think what you're doing with some of these apps, and I know the one that I've used... Um, it's really more, more of an extension. You, you've taken away some of the limitations of traditional <coughs> instruments um, and, yeah. and really yeah. given it another level. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I, I, I've been thinking about you know, some of the great metal keyboard players over the, over the last 30, 40 years, and, and you kind of came along, you and, and, and Derek even as well, kind of came along and... and took the keyboard player out of the shadows. I, I remember the first time I saw Dream Theater, uh, you guys were touring with Joe Satriani doing a co-headline tour, and I remember you guys taking the stage and you were in the, got the spinning keyboard. You know, 20 years, 10 years prior to that, you know, the keyboard player was back behind a curtain, you know, and Ozzy didn't want to admit there was one back there. How, how did right. you, do you kind of take pride in that, you know, that you're taking that out of the shadows in metal? Well, 
<laughs> for sure. I mean, I grew up listening to like Keith Emerson and Rick Wakeman, and those mm-hmm. guys certainly were, uh, you know, their uh, my mentors. You know, because mm-hmm. they highlighted the keyboards. But I guess these days, you know, like Dream Theater, uh, and my work with them helps to uh, to bring, you know, kind of the keyboard player a little bit more into the spotlight, or to maintain mm-hmm. that what Keith and Rick and Patrick Morass started. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's important to me. I just think that the key, you know, obviously, keyboard is like you know such an important instrument, and the, and the and I think that more people in the in all musical genres, but let's say rock, mm-hmm. need to under you know it's nice for them to understand what a keyboard can really what a keyboard can really bring to uh, to the genre. What's interesting about being a keyboard player in a prog metal band is mm-hmm. that you know you got to kind of erase all you got to get rid of all the ego because a lot of times people don't know what sounds are really coming from the keyboard and it's understandable because the keyboard i might literally be playing like a guitar sound or something like a guitar that just is supportive of uh, the heavy sound that we might be producing or i might be playing a uh you know a choir or a string orchestra or Mm -hmm. a flute sound or who the hell knows what and sounds that people don't necessarily relate to keyboards that they don't know you know they have no idea where it's coming from they might think it's a backing track or whatever but meanwhile i'm sitting there you know working hard reducing all these sounds and i actually take a lot of pride in you know speaking of that i take a lot of pride in creating my orchestrations whatever i do in the studio i like to be able to do them live so i'll do a Mm -hmm. lot of layering where i'll have strings and choir and french horns and analog synth sounds and backing guitar tracks and my pinky or whatever uh so but you know again the ego can't really be a big part of it because a lot of people don't even realize what's happening yeah you're you're absolutely right you you think back to, to john lord another you know giant of of the keys it was a lot yeah. easier to pick out the hammond in in you know against richie blackmore than sometimes it is you and john petrucci who you know sometimes your keys can almost sound like him maybe using a whammy pedal almost um right, so it, right, it is sure. you know hard I, I was listening to uh the live at the Badokan album and you know in your solo there's yeah. some stuff in there that very much sounds like a guitar um right yeah, it's fantastic right. now do you guys speaking of your your inner playing with John I, I know sometimes you guys will go on some amazing runs and you know note for note um how I mean, is that just you guys are that good at your instruments, or how much time do you two have to kind of, you know, hey, let's work on that part again to get the timing so perfect? Right. Um, well, you know, we're we're a little bit uh, crazy in the sense that we're always practicing and pushing each other just by even just being around each other. Because mm-hmm. I'm listening to him shred with a metronome and constantly working on uh, playing, you know, more accurately, cleaner, faster, better. Uh, and everybody in the group is kind of like that. So when we write, you know, those unisons, which a lot of times we do them really together, um, it's, well, first of all, it's a lot of fun. Um, but we love that. And we, you know, this is, this is kind of who we are. We're backstage, you know, before shows, and we're, I guess, most rock bands or whatever, partying or who the hell knows what. I mean, we're mm-hmm. practicing with a metronome and, you know, kind of a boring uh people in that sense that we're just always working on our craft not to disappoint anybody who thinks that there's some amazing party going on but um yeah that's how that's how it comes about just because of the nature of what who we are and the way we view our instruments and what we're trying to do with our music 
And uh, and yeah, those unison parts are, you know, really really fun, and we love doing that. Yeah, and it comes off. I mean, you 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 listen to that. And it's just, sometimes it's almost mind blowing that you know one guy's doing it, let alone two, and you're doing it in in such perfect synchronicity and not, you oh. know, the tiniest bit off, which would kind of derail the train. Um, so it's yeah, right, fantastic right. to hear. So um, totally. you're going to be in Greensburg doing a show this uh, this week. Um, you guys are kind of commemorating the anniversary of Images and Words. Can you talk a little bit about what else you know is in the set for those who might be coming yeah. out? It's a pretty long set. It's uh, I think it's like a three hour show, and the first set that we it's like it's in what we it's what we call three halves make up the whole in this case. <laughs> That works. We have three parts of the show, and they're all pretty chunky. The first half is all catalog stuff um, that you know is from various albums, uh, and it has, I think it has a really nice pacing. It even includes the John Mayung bass solo, um, which everybody gets excited about. Yeah. Um, so the first half is that all different stuff, nice flow to it, um, <clears throat> and the second half of it. Uh, is the Images and Words set. We play Images and Words from beginning to end. Um, and when that's all done, then we come out for what I refer to as the third half, and that is uh, the song Change of Seasons, which is a huge, epic song, uh, almost 30 minutes long. And, uh, yeah, we go, and it's like a fan favorite as well. We kind of rock that, and that's it. That's, yeah, that, that, which is plenty. Don't think you're, you're selling anybody short with that much. No, um, it's a lot. That's fantastic. Um, I'm taking so, double dose of vitamins to do this. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I, I marvel at, at, you know, you guys and some of the other bands that, you know, consistently do the two and a half, three hours, you know, under the lights, um, you know, got to be sweating your brains out. Um, doing that. Um, as far as, you know, when you're playing the music, um, am I correct? Do you use sheet music still? Or, like, when you're playing, you have, like, an iPad with the sheet music? Or do you have to memorize I, I, all this? I have, a, I have an iPad that, that is able to display notes, messages, program changes. So for each song, it might be a little bit different. Some I just want to remember which octave I put things on or right. where, uh, where a, you know, where my many, many sound changes might be. Some songs have like 50 different sound changes. Uh, and sometimes I'll look at some notes as well. It's a pretty cool system because it really can show me whatever information I want. Um, and it's in, it's an application called Fourscore. They kind of do it all in one word. I used mm-hmm. to use this special device that was like a notation reader thing. It was mm-hmm. really thick and bulky. Now I use an iPad, and it's just a beautiful system to display, you know, anything, many images, notes, whatever I want, reminders. Yeah, time magazines. to get off the time to get off the stage. Uh, order right, order right. your meal. Um, when you're, you're doing images yeah. and words, um, do you stay pretty true to Kevin's original parts, or do you have some room to kind of make it your own? Um, I, you know, I play the, that music with what I feel is a great deal of respect for the, uh, you know, for what Kevin did. I think he was very, very talented. And um, so, you know, I, I approach it from this uh, kind of viewpoint of respect. And But then, well, you know, if there's anything I can do to make it better, you know, more glorious, more current, you know, mm-hmm. more enjoyable... You know, and I guess what I mean by that is, like, you know, synthesizers have changed so much in the years. Absolutely. So many more things that one can do that, 
uh, you know, I'll take advantage of that. So, like, if there's a string sound where he was going for some effect and you know, he was using some old old synthesizer, and I have sounds that are going to be more, uh, you know, that just work better for the part. I mean, hell, I'm not going to try to make some old crappy synthesizer sound. I'll use something that I think is, you know, really, really going to work even better. Mm-hmm. So that, those are decisions that you know I have to make. So I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily like. You know, kill anybody's experience. That's like that's not the sound of it. I'd rather them say, "Wow, it sounds amazing. It sounds like even better than I remember." Yeah, so and that's it's more about that. that. Well, Jordan, I want to thank you so much again. You're going to be coming in uh, Pittsburgh, Greensburg, on the the eighth on Wednesday night, uh, and the new album, uh, really fantastic. You and Steve, the Inner Sonic album will be coming out. I believe it's the 14th of November. Uh, correct me I if I'm wrong. 17th. 17th. Okay. Uh, another fantastic, a great listen, and, and I wish you all the best and success with that. So safe travels into Pittsburgh. Thanks so much, John. Take care. All right, a big thank you to Jordan Rudis. Again, the new album he's got coming out with Steve Horlick. It's called Inner Sonic. It'll be out on November 14th. And if you're in the sound of my voice, um, I dream that it'll be on their way to your town, I'm sure, very soon. To my town in particular, Greensburg, uh, Pennsylvania, they're doing a show on Wednesday night. Uh, so that'll be... Really cool to see Dream Theater doing their their gigantic prog opus. So we are going to turn our attention now to a, another fantastic guitarist in the prog genre. It's a guitarist named Andrew Vivaldi, who's got a new album called Synopsis out. Uh, he is touring with Scale the Summit, as I mentioned at the uh, top of the show. They're going to be in Pittsburgh at Mr. Smalls for an Iron City Rock show on the 9th of November. Uh, so you get a chance to check that out. So let's play you a little bit of Angel Vivaldi from the new album Synopsis, and we'll get into that in
ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have guitar, guitarist extraordinary Angel Vivaldi on the line. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, brother. My pleasure. You are coming in for the Guitar Summit uh, later on this week on the 9th to do a show in uh, Millville slash Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with Scale the Summit. Um, you've got a fantastic new record out, uh, which I think has a really cool um, concept behind it, Synops. Um, can you start just by talking about the idea behind the album, what kind of intertwines all the tracks? Absolutely, yeah. So it is a concept record. Um, there's nine tracks on it, and what I did was I um, I found nine neurotransmitters that are responsible for different emotions or different roles in the brain, and I pretty much wrote a song after each one. You know, so there's like serotonin, uh, which is really you know, and dynamically it reflects in the song. You know, so serotonin being like the happy confidence molecule is a really upbeat and fun song. Uh, adenosine is a sleeping molecule, so it's very like a lullaby, very you know, atmospheric and ambient. Um, you know, adrenaline's like full throttle, you know, so, um, and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's pretty much uh, the premise of the record. Uh, the process of the record was uh, very, very, you know, intense as well in the sense of uh, I had assigned nine colors to each song and I actually painted my entire studio nine different colors as I was writing each song to really just be immersed in the energy of each one, mm-hmm. um, which I th- definitely think aided in achieving that um, that dynamic to match the intensity of the song. So, um, yeah, it's, it was a very long process, but <laughs> I'm very when, grateful for it. When you're doing an, an instrumental album, um, obviously, you, you you know, you don't have the luxury of, you know, everyday life events that you run by saying, oh, that would be kind of a catchy lyric, or, you know, I've got this idea for this yeah. character, you know, in your normal concept album. So... Uh, how did you kind of hatch the idea, you know, between any of the concepts that you do? I mean, is it you need to looking for something in general to give you inspiration to write the songs, or or is this something you just kind of thought of and thought this would be kind of a cool approach? Well, I definitely will say I'm I'm enamored and addicted to inspiration, uh, which is kind of it, it goes back to the reason why I really went. Um, you know, to paint the studio nine times because for me, mm-hmm. um, like I'm very passionate with interior design. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that when, whenever I had moved in my life or whenever I changed the look of a particular um, a room in my house, I, I'm always very inspired because it's like something new. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a, a sense of you know inspiration hitting, but I wanted to give myself that platform to be inspired. So for instrumental music, though, um, a lot of times it's kind of random, you know, like for instance with the song of Martian Winter, which is, you know, three albums back, I remember reading uh, an article, a NASA article about one of the rovers dying on Mars because it couldn't survive the Martian winter. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I read that sentence and I was like, you know, like you said, like there's like a catchy lyric that kind of comes to you and you can kind of, you know, snowball it from there. But I read that one sentence and I was like, the Martian winter. Martian winter that sounds so cool like what would a winter on Mars sound like mm-hmm. so that's where I came up with the main melody and it's very eerie and it just sounds cold you know mm-hmm. so um, I guess it's the same type of thing instead of lyrics it's just like melodies and, and moods now do you um, when, once you get the mood like you're, you're looking through the, the you know the, the chemicals in the brain the, the colors the Martian winter do you Start by saying, okay, here's maybe a mode that would kind of 
give you that feeling, you know, audio feeling of, of what you're visualizing? Or um, you just kind of sit down and play, and then what comes out? Is it more... Do you do you break it down that much when you're writing a song? I mean, it really is a case-to-case basis. I mean, sometimes um, sometimes a melody comes first. Sometimes it's a, it's a really strong riff. Uh, sometimes, in, you know, like, for instance, with Synapse, it was a lot of everything. It was, a, it was the concept, the melody, and, and the riffs. Um, you know, so it really depends on really what the song needs as far as how to nurture it. Some songs come out easier than others. Um, I think that's the other thing, too, with how I write. Um, you know, I don't, it's instrumental, and obviously there's, you know, fast sections and stuff like that. However, I don't really play the note for a sake of playing a note. You know, I really mm-hmm. like to flush it out and really think about, you know, does this have a place here? What am I trying to say overall? So, um, but yeah, it is a very, very deep process. I mean, it takes me years to write a song, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, a lot of these songs I've had around for three or four years that I kind of sure. work on, on and off, on and off. So, um, yeah, it is a very involved process. Now, um, in a live setting, you're playing, you know, a, a zillion notes, uh, you know, in, in the sake of a, of a set. Do you memorize these songs or, or do you leave yourself some Im- room for improvisation? You know, I, I know the chord structure, I know the key it's in, I just kind of do mm-hmm. this. How, how do you approach and, and keep all that straight in your mind? I mean, that's a lot to remember. Yeah, um, well, I think, well, for me, the most important thing is really being authentic, sincere, and genuine. It's like, it's no, for me, it's no different than changing the lyrics of the song. You know, Tom Petty wouldn't go on stage and, you know, play, you know, free, sing Free Falling and change the lyrics. Sure. So, I, I'm not going to do the same, you know, because granted, it's not words, but I'm still saying something. You know, and that doesn't change the, the dynamic of the song. So the one thing I will do live, though, um, I will extend sections for improvisation mm-hmm. uh, because I definitely it's important for me to give the audience something different. You know, I, I love the element of surprise. I love giving them something that they can't get anywhere else. That's just for that room for that audience. Right. So there's a lot of room for improvisation. Um, but not within, like, you know, the full song will be played as it is on the record. Okay. Um, you know, because it's important. It's important to keep that. Because I think a lot of melodies, people, like, they, they're emotionally attached to, and they expect to hear them. And I really want to provide that, you know, I want to satiate them in that respect, but I also want to give them a little something extra. Sure. Yeah, I, I always marvel at prog players. You know, you, you, you think of, okay, the Ramones, you, you're remembering a couple mm-hmm. chords. You think of, you know, right. Black Sabbath songs. Ozzy's he's got a TV screen at his feet with the lyrics scrolling by. But you guys, you yeah. know, you and the John Petrucci's and you know the Scale of Summit guys. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to remember. I always kind of marvel at that. But you're right. I wouldn't want to go here surfing with the alien and have him go into a you know seven minute tangent in the middle of the song and leave out you know some <laughs> of the parts that you really enjoy. So I mean, right, exactly. Yeah, definitely. As far as gear, um, I see you, you play a seven string. Are, are you using a, a low B, or how, how do you tune for your yeah, music? That's correct. Yep. Yeah, I, I use a low B. I'm always in standard tuning. Um, I always have been since day one. Um, I, I really don't tune down. You know, I feel like the you know the seven string and standard tuning is, is more than sufficient enough. Mm-hmm. Now, um, guitar wise, I've seen pictures of you with some Charvels, with some Ibanez. What what is your axe of choice for at the t- at the moment? Well, right now I, I work with Charvel. You know, mm-hmm. we uh, we're working on a signature guitar that's going to be coming out in 2019. Um, I was with Ibanez for quite a number of years, maybe uh, 
I was endorsed with them for eight years, but you know, I grew up playing Ibanez's, you know, because they were, you know, everywhere and very affordable. So uh, they're great guitars, you know. They they definitely do uh, what they do well. Um, I think you know over the years of me just kind of uh, you know growing as a musician, you know, it's like you outgrow each other, sort of. You know, sure. not outgrow is not the right word, but you just you just change. You know, it's no mm. different than a relationship, as as weird as it is. You know, it's like I feel with Ibanez, it's kind of like you know I started dating someone in seventh grade, and we were together until we finished college and I just married this person without dating anyone else. Sure. You know, um, and that's, you know, it works for some people and, and my God, God bless anyone that works for her, but for 90% of the population, that's not how it is. You know, you, you explore and you learn something with every new relationship and you grow that way. So for me, um, you know, it was just a time of like, I, I eh, you know, kind of want something different, you know, something sure. that's a, a little bit more compatible with what, I, you know, uh, with, how I play and uh, the specs that I look for. So going to NAM every year, as I have been since 2013, 2012, even, I don't even remember. But, um, you know, it's like you have love goggles with, with who you're with, but when you go to NAM, you see all the crazy, amazing guitars and all the new right. innovations that they're building. And I'm like, wow, there's a whole world out there that I'm not really testing. And, you know, Grant, I mean, Ivan is, you know, I'm very, I'm a very loyal player, you know, I, mean, mm-hmm. I typically always have one guitar at a time, but, um, yeah, you know, it's just a matter of that, you know, I still love everyone at Ivan is, you know, I still really appreciate, we did some beautiful things, you know, for quite a while, and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was just, you know, time for something new and different. Yeah, I know, it was, it was, it was enjoyable to see the picture, you know, on your, on your website and the, some of the promo pics, because it you know, immediately kind of harkened me back to some of the really cool guitars that Jakey Lee uh, had played, you know, back oh, in the day. Yeah. Like, oh, that's some really cool stuff. Um, on, on the amp, and what are you using? I've been with Mesa Boogie. Um, uh-huh. I am religious about one thing in life, and that's Mesa Boogie amps. <laughs> no, I can't love go wrong their there. No, are you a you rectifier can. player? Do you, do you play like a standard triple rectifier, or what? No, I'm a, I'm a Mark series guy. I use the uh-huh. Mark series. I've been a fan of the Mark series for God a very, many many years. Um, right now I'm using. Well, I have a few different amps. I, I have a, I have two JP two Cs, which is just a reissue of the two C plus, which is the amp. You know, I mean, you're talking about Metallica's, you know, tone, and obviously Petrucci uses it as well as it's his signature. And um, I have a Mark five as well. I had a Mark four for a little while. I played a Mark three for a little while. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like kind of been all over the place um but yeah i absolutely love them that's that's my voice you know that's the one thing that i'm kind of like i need my mesa boogies you know they're just mm-hmm. they feel great and um you know mesa is a huge supporter of what i do and i'm a supporter of what they do so it's beautiful beautiful relationship yeah that's excellent now um the shows you're doing with scale the summit um are, are you guys mm-hmm. kind of both doing a headline length gig or what what as far as set time how long are do you anticipate being on stage yeah, so it is a co-headlining tour, so we're going to be switching off every night. You know, one night I headline, then they headline, and I headline, then they headline. So, um, yeah, I think both uh, both of us are playing about anywhere from like 45 minutes to about close to an hour. Um, and, yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty much a, you know, even co-headliner with Andy James's direct support, who, um, and this is his first tour as a solo artist on U.S. soil. So a lot of people just been anxiously awaiting him to do this so after you know how successful our European tour was together just recently I had to bring him here I had to bring him here <laughs> you know the fans were just like really aching to see us tour together and you know perform together as well so yeah, yeah it's going it, to be an amazing experience yeah it is, it is nice to see you know I mean you, I think people 
who love this kind of music, you know, love this kind of music. And obviously, there's another tour going around with you know three guitarists. We don't want to steal any trademark names or anything, but um, you know, obviously, those generate a lot of interest. And I think you guys are going to melt a lot of faces, uh, you know, listening to this because this was, you know, I remember when I first you know became you know aware of your music, first aware of Scale of Summits. You know, there's there's a whole world outside. Of you know the traditional '80s shredders that you think of who still do that today, so it's it's great to see yeah. kind of a, a new breed of that. Um, on the, on the new record, you worked with uh, another uh, guest of the show, uh, Gus G. Uh, can you talk about yeah. how you and Gus uh, kind of cross paths? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we toured together. Uh, we did a co-headliner. Uh, when was it? Uh, sometime last year, actually one year ago, and. Um, yeah, I was just getting off a spring tour, and uh, the day I got back, I had an email from him waiting in my inbox. He was like, hey, man, I'm a really big fan. I would love to you know, maybe tour together. And I had already been working on a fall tour at that point, and I was like, hey, man, I'm actually going out this September. I was just going to do a headliner myself. And uh, I was like, hey, do you want to maybe do a co-headliner together? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. You know, So um, we did the tour. It was incredible. You know, it, the fans loved it. You know, we had a really good time. We got very, very close. And um, he's a terrifying guitar player. He is incredible. Mm -hmm. There was not one bad note in his set all yeah. month. It was incredible. And, you know, very, you know, we, we, it was just a marvel to see. You know, we definitely inspired each other a lot um, in many different ways. And when it came to doing the record, I had this one section of this particular song and I was like, I hear him over this. I, I just, I know he's perfect for it. You know, it was very strategic as far as what guests, you know, played on what, you know, because we had, um, I also had Nita Strauss, who of course plays with Alice Cooper, do, right. you know, serotonin, her energy was great for that. And, you know, the song he played on was the oxytocin chemical, which is the bonding molecule. And because mm -hmm. we bonded so closely, conceptually, it worked even on, on another level that I couldn't really explain. It was wonderful. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of how we started. You know, we just got an email from him. We toured together, and you know, and when I asked him to send the records, I just, absolutely, you know, he was really excited about it. And he loved the song. So it kind of worked out for everyone. Yeah. One one thing I look at when I look at um, you know your background. Uh, you grew up in New Jersey, correct? Correct. Yeah. What got you? You know, kind of turned you on a guitar because I mean, you you grew up at a time you're enough younger than I think than myself that the world was kind of void of guitar heroes for a little while uh, you yeah. know especially playing the kind of music you do um, what what was kind of your foray into the world of you know guitar rock like that yeah well you know my background you know I'm Puerto Rican and you know in the town that I grew up in is you know very Puerto Rican you know and African American so you know, I grew up on like dance music, you know, Spanish music, mm. you know, salsa, merengue, stuff like that, um, and R and B, you know, old school R and B. Sure. Um, so for me, it was Nirvana, really, Nirvana that kind of made me pick up the guitar. But it was a very gradual thing. So the first thing, you know, that I started, I latched onto uh, the first record I ever bought was Jewel's Pieces of You, Pieces of You, which I think is a fantastic record from beginning to end. It is amazing. But sure. you know, coming from my my background is like complete departures. So it started with like the soft alternative rock. It was like Jewel, uh, Savage Garden, you know, Bush, and then it got to Nirvana, and from there it was like Metallica, Testament, Ingvae Malmsteen. You know, so it was like very yeah. slow progression. Um, 
and yeah, you're right. I mean, like it was it was a time where the internet wasn't really a thing yet. I mean, it's just starting to to do its thing, but it wasn't everywhere. It wasn't nearly as robust as it is today. So there was no YouTube. There was no way to find new artists. I never knew guitar instrumental music was a thing that existed. So um, yeah, it, it was just like learning Nirvana songs and Green Day songs and you know Metallica and stuff like that and it just kind of snowballed from there really <laughs> yeah it, it, you were you were losing me until you got to metallica then i was like okay this makes sense because i'm thinking you know he should yeah. be playing like a fender jaguar with a beat-up amp and a you know over od green military coat and um you know yeah yeah <laughs> but and i look at it, you you might be one of the youngest people i've seen with a floyd rose on their guitar and uh ah, yeah and that's kind of where i was wondering how that came about so that's fantastic well angel i don't want to take any more of your time you're in with scale summit and andy jobs on the ninth uh, to do a show of mr smalls and we look forward to seeing when you get to pittsburgh man looking forward to heading up there awesome all right, we'll cut it right there. Hey, Angel, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I appreciate it, uh, you calling in, and we will uh, talk to you in a couple of days. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. All right, big thank you to Angel Vivaldi. Again, he's going to be in town with Scale the Summit. He'll be doing a show at Mr. Small's for Iron City Rock Show on the 9th of November. So I'm going to check that out. Uh, we're going to turn our attention now to a band called Alarm for War. A new band uh, out of the uh, Minnesota area, which caught my attention. You don't see a lot of uh, bands you know, from Minnesota kind of making it uh, big. And this one really caught my attention because it is a fuse of full-on rap with uh, metal. And not only full-on rap, which isn't that unusual uh, in modern music, but uh, as sung by, a, or rapped, I should say, by a 13-year-old buggy. So had a chance to talk to Buggy about this uh, project and how it all kind of came together and what's next for the band. So we're going to play you a little of Alarm for War and introduce you to Buggy.
My pleasure to welcome to the show from the band Alarm for War. We have Buggy on the line. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you, John? Doing fantastic. Hey, um, you guys have got some really cool music uh, coming out of, am I correct, Minneapolis? Uh, yep, we are based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yes, sir. Okay, so you guys got snow already, am I correct? Yes, sir. It's actually it's actually snowing right now. It's kind of funny because it's only October but last year in October, I remember it started snowing in November, and that was a shock. But it's actually almost blizzarding right now. Yeah, I, I caught that on the news this morning, and uh, it's like, wow, this is too early for this. So um, exactly, I, I have to ask. I mean, we don't get a, a ton of musicians, you know, by way of Minnesota. Um, is you know, being you know, you're in the kind of the younger generation there. What is the music scene like in Minneapolis at this time? Well. Obviously, I'm 13 years old, so I don't know much. I know, obviously, out of Minneapolis. I know we have First Avenue and stuff like that. Um, but you'd have to talk to, you know, one of some of my other band members about that because I don't really um, pay attention to the music scene down here. We just kind of focus on our own stuff. But I do know that we have uh, First Avenue, which is like a really cool, you know, thing in Minneapolis there. But I, I couldn't honestly tell you because I'm, sometimes we get people asking that. It's like, dude, I'm 13 years old. I don't know about the music scene in Minneapolis. <laughs> 
Yeah, I was gonna say we don't we don't you don't hear a lot of musicians coming away in Minnesota. And we don't, I'll be honest, we don't get a lot of thirteen year olds. Um, <laughs> so your music is kind of a fusion of say hip hop and metal. Um, what um, as, as a thirteen year old, I have to say I don't know. You know, it seems like some thirteen year olds are into metal, but way more into hip hop. Um, what kind of drew you towards metal? And I hate to even have to ask that question, but what you know, as a younger generation kid. Well, you know, I've just always really liked metal. Um, sometimes even I told the other guy in the interview, I love uh, the song Day Turn to Night. I don't know if you listen to that song, but uh, mm-hmm. the song Day Turn to Night is kind of like the mellower part of the EP. And, you know, in the middle when it's really mellow, I'm like, okay, guys, I like the metal, but let's get back on the metal. Let's start shouting here. So I've just yeah. always kind of liked metal. I like uh, soft, you know, soft kind of like if it's a little quieter sometimes. But I just guess it's just a natural instinct that I've always been attracted to metal. Now, when you decided you wanted to be, you know, the kind of the front man in a band. Um, was, were you thinking in terms of doing this kind of hybrid of, of singing, which you do and also rapping, or were you tempted to be more of a singer, more of a rapper? What what was kind of ideal for you? Well, at the beginning, we were, it was just going to be rap, but then actually it was funny, in the studio, Smitty, our drummer, said, if you if we can get you singing in there, that will kind of, you know, broaden it a little more, because then if people don't like the rap, then they might like the singing. If they don't like the singing, mm-hmm. then they might like the rap. So it was actually just originally going to be rap, but actually in the studio was when we added the singing. And I have to say, it's not a bad idea, because I, I think of, of, of a band like Slipknot, for example, and they have, you know, Corey has sort of two very different, voices almost in the band and you know i personally enjoy one of them very much and really don't care much for the other but enough that i still own the album still you know listen to the live music and stuff so it's probably not a bad idea but as far as from from a from a rapping perspective is it more challenging to rap over metal than you know just a normal beat that you may hear you know from what you hear on the radio well metal is the only way i know how to rap I haven't really tried anything else other than, um, um, you know, metal. I haven't really done hip hop or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I think I think metal's right where I'm at. Yeah, you hear some. Sometimes you hear hip hop, and, and it's almost void of actual music. There's really not, you know, you, some of the tracks you hear, you don't. You, there's not a, like a melody, for example. But you know, with metal, um, you know, your your musicians you surrounded. You know, certainly give the listeners something to listen to in addition to your vocals. Can you talk a little bit about the guys in the band? Yeah, so uh, we got uh, Keystar guitar player, Fletcher, our bass player, and Smitty, our drummer. Um, of course, you're probably going to hear this, uh, you know, with everybody or, or, you know, something like that. But they really are are all great guys. Um, you know, obviously, I'm 13, so, you know, help me. This is what you're going to do. Um, you know, basically, this this is the guy that we meet. This is the guy that we talk about this. They're all very helpful, very awesome good dudes. And, um, you know, like, like I said, we're very we're a very unique band. I tell everybody this. We're a very unique band. Um, so, you know, with everybody doing their part, it really comes together really good. So after the music um, was done, after the, you know, the rap, the rapping and the vocals was done, then the band kind of started coming together after that. But as far as the band members, they're great guys, and they're great season musicians. Did you kind of put the, the band together in the studio and then kind of take it from there and develop as, as a band more? Well, actually, actually, the music was done first, and then we put the rap into it, and then, you know, the band okay. members were picked. So it's kind of like a mutual friend. So, like, a guy knows a guy who knows a guy, and mm-hmm. then, you know, he plays guitar and stuff like that. So that's kind of how the band came together. Did you um, did you sense any hesitation from the guys 
you know, in coming in for a gig with a 13-year-old, I mean, not to put you on the spot because of your age, but I mean, I could see, you know, maybe some people being skeptical of that. Yeah, well, I, I just think it's really cool because if I can tell you a short story, one time uh, we did an, I did an interview, and the guy told me that he had a bunch of guys in his studio one day, and he said a 13-year-old um, rapper came up, and he said they all kind of laughed it off, and then he said once they were done... He said they were all silent. They didn't have anything to laugh about. So I thought that was kind of cool. So, you know, after after performing live, you know, one or two times, they were never, like, hesitant about it because, you know, while we were while in band practice, um, you know, but while in band practice at our place, it's just, it's just like everything's really cool and everything's working out really good. So there was never no hesitation, um, but I think it just really helped a lot once we performed um, live. Then, you know, like, as a matter of fact, when we were on – um, one of the tours, uh, one of the guys are just kind of being, uh, you know, kind of like short or with the band. And after we were done performing, they started they started being, you know, really cool and offering us food and stuff like that. So it's just, I think it's just cool how after you perform live, people are like, okay, good, they can bring it. Now we're going to, you know, now they're a part of the club. So I just think it's cool how that worked. Yeah, that is. Um, this, this this is kind of a, a question out of my ignorance of, of hip-hop and rap. Um We've had some of the greatest vocalists of all time, I feel, on this show. Um, but I don't know that I've had many people who rap. Um, when you sit down to write this uh, material, um, do you tend to work out like a rhythmic parameter to keep your words in and then build the words around that? Or do you decide, okay, here's the message I want in the song, and I'm just going to kind of make it fit? How do, you, how do you approach that so that you end up with you know, a good rap versus crap? Yeah. Yeah, I think it'd be I think it'd be the second one. So like I said, when the music's done, I mean, you know, the whole band works together to put the lyrics together. So after that, you know, it really is just a matter of once the music's done, you know, once it's being recorded, we know what we're gonna do, and then in the studio, it just gets moved around. Um, so yeah, if you listen to like sooner the song sooner or later or no compromise, there's just a lot of lot of rapping words, but it's pretty easy for me to speed rap, so that was never really a problem. Do you improvise that when you do it the first time, or do you kind of scat out? You know, here's just kind of roughly what I want it to sound like, and I'll figure out real words to match this. You know, later you'll see yeah. that with vocalists do that sometimes. Yeah, I actually got, you know, one of those uh, books that rhyme words and stuff. That helped, too. Um, so, I, like like I said, the music's done. We know what we're going to do in the studio. And then once we get there, most of the time, you know, we take a lot out and then add a lot in and then, you know, think mm-hmm. of another word to put right there. So that's that's how it came together in the studio. Now, you have some shows coming up in, in November. Um, unfortunately, nothing in, in Pennsylvania yet, but I'm sure we'll see you before too long. Um, how do you balance that with school? Well, I'm actually homeschooled. I uh, just went, in, just went excuse me, into the freshman year. Um, so I'm actually, the, the guitar player likes to say Keith, so he likes to say he's bus schooled. So, you know, I do all my homework on the bus, uh, you know, just doing doing all that stuff. So I keep up with uh, homework, the band stuff at home, and... and um, you know, it's just really cool how you can just, instead of, you know, public school, you just go on the bus and get your work done and then do a show and then do a little more work. So that's, I'm homeschooled. Being homeschooled, you're kind of missing, you know, maybe what a lot of you know, great metal was written over the years, you know, the kind of the school's out sort of uh, mantra of, of kids in school. Um, but the, um, what is what is touring like? I mean, you know, going to different cities, do people react to you, you know, as kind of an adult, are you treated kind of like a child by some people? Do people give you any grief on that? Well, like like I said, um, since we performed the shows, everybody's been really great. Now that they know that we, the band can bring it, um, you know, I'm treated like everybody else, which is really cool. Yeah, and, and good thing, you know, at 13, you're you're 
almost full size, so maybe people, you know, may not even notice. Uh, you know, when you listen to the track, you certainly don't, you know, say that sounds like, you know, the Jackson Five or some, you know, kid performing. So it's really very cool. Um, growing up, were there particular rappers that you found influential? You know, every, everybody asked me this on the interviews. I really, I listened to POD previously, but I mm-hmm. wasn't trying to sound like anybody in the studio. Um, you know, it was just kind of like a test run. You know, hey, can you do these songs? And, you know, nobody really knew what to expect. But I wasn't trying to sound like anybody. It's literally just how it came out. And then at the end, it just turned out really good. So, you know, everybody kind of asked that. But the hard truth is I really did not listen to anybody. Um, You know, that's just how it sounded. And that's just how it came out in the studio. So I had listened to P.O.D. previously. But like I said, I was not trying to imitate them in any way. Cool. Well, Buggy, I want to wish you all the best. Again, you've got a date in Houston and a date in uh, Colorado. Uh, coming up, and then hopefully, you know, as we get through the, the winter, maybe we'll see you out making your way towards um, either Ohio or Pennsylvania, and we'll check you out when you get into town, man. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you very much, John. All right. All the best to you. All right. A big thank you to Buggy, uh, Jordan Rudis, and also Angel Vivaldi for coming on Iron City Rocks. I want to uh, invite you to check out ironcityrocks.com. You can visit us at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, or all forward slash Iron City Rocks. You can email us ironcityrocks at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you let us know what you think of the bands let us know bands you're interested in seeing on the show let us know what you think of the program anything you want to let us know we'd love to hear from you so until next time we want to thank you for taking the time to listen (laughs) 